Thundergrunt Podcast Network. Bowie. 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 Curioso. A curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters. A collector of knowledge. Curioso Podcast. Where to start? Where to start? Where to start with David Bowie? <laughs> I think that that is the, uh, yeah, that's the question. It, it really is. Well, here, you know, typically you like to start at the beginning. and then Come to the middle. Yeah. And then when you get to the end, stop. Yeah. But it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's not. And, and I think the reason why is because David Bowie is, he feels like he should not have ever died. Mm-hmm. Just going on forever, moving yeah. on to some other planet. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, when I was when I was a kid, when I was younger, uh, you know, the there were only a handful of people like musicians that I, you know, that influenced me like heavily. Yeah. And most of them were rather obscure. I mean, yeah, I liked a lot of like popular stuff too when I was growing up, but the ones that Later on in life, I would look back and say, yeah, it's okay to wear costumes on stage. Yeah, it's okay to try, you know, a a mouth harp with electric guitar. Yeah, it's okay to do all this kind of weird stuff because it's an an expression of myself and art that I'm trying to create. Mm -hmm. And Bowie was, I mean, that was a big thing, you know, growing up for me. I didn't know all of his albums. I wasn't the hugest of fans. But what he represented and what he did do in in my little world, it made a huge impact. And like you said, I don't I mean it still doesn't feel like he'll ever leave. You know, I don't think he will. I mean, he left behind thirty albums. Yeah, of of <laughs> of you know of you know soul pop and rock and roll. I mean, experimental jazz. Uh, some people even put it in like industrial. Um, well, he, I mean, he's gone through. Uh, and, and, okay, <laughs> yeah. so we're we're getting iterations, into it, right? Right. <laughs> so he has gone through so many iterations, and he has gone in and out of every single uh, type. Of, well, not every single type of music, but I mean, like very very broad right spectrum. And he's it, 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 and he seems to. I read somewhere. And I'm totally going to misquote this, uh, but they were basically saying. Let me paraphrase. Mm-hmm. He puts on a costume right. and performs on stage mm-hmm. or or in video like a person would put on a different coat, right? And he has these different personas throughout, you know, the decades mm-hmm. that he's performed. Yeah, and every single one of them amazing and bizarre in their own way. Right. I mean, you, you look at someone like, say, you know, Alice Cooper, pretty much found his niche and, and he grooved on that for as long as he could. Right. Kiss, you know, they found their thing and that's what they did. They're, you know, they're well, all, they also stopped their thing for a little while just little, to, yeah, yeah and yeah. then went back to the thing. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. That was mostly because of the makeup. <laughs> right. But Bowie, he was this ever-changing 
constantly evolving, some would say, quote unquote, chameleon artist, yeah. you know, actor, musician, writer, director. I mean, you name it. His IMDb page mm-hmm. is enormous. He's got over like 400 and some credits just on IMDb. Now, a lot of that is not, I mean, it's not necessarily him acting, although no, 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 he did no, no. act. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying a lot of it was what music. Yeah, like his songs in movies or mm-hmm. commercials or TV spots. That's where the bulk of it is. Right, is that his giant oeuvre of music has made its way into almost everyday pop culture for the past, you know, what since since the the early '60s. Yeah, so quite a while. So I guess we'll start. Mm-hmm. Uh, after our little intro, there. <laughs> sorry, yeah, there's we were we were trying to figure out how to start this episode, but just the the pure the the sheer volume of information and the amount of things that David Bowie did in his life, yeah, you can't really sum it up in an hour long episode. But we're gonna try. Okay, so he was born David Robert Jones. On the 8th of January, 1947, in Brixton, London, England. Let me just mention that his birthday is the 8th. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, spoiler alert, but one of the reasons why we're doing this is because he did pass away mm-hmm. two days afterwards. Yes. Now, not I mean not two days afterwards, but I mean on the 10th. Right. Let me just say both of those straddle my birthday on the 9th. Hmm. Yeah, we have that connection. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. Just saying. Bowie's early life, he graduated Bromley Technical High School at the age of 16. And right after that, he worked as a commercial artist. One of his early bands was called Davy Jones and the Lower Third, mm-hmm. which had you know like a handful of singles. Later, he, he actually decided to formally change his name because he didn't want to be confused with the Davy Jones in the band The Monkees. Right, yeah. I mean, which makes sense. That happens to a lot of different artists. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially, uh, you know, talking Hollywood types, you know. I mean, you don't want to be confused, so you have to add, you know, your middle initial or, right, or what right. have you, you yeah. know. So, or you take a surname or you take a different surname. Mm-hmm. And he actually, from what I can understand, is he took the last name Bowie uh, based on the American pioneer James Bowie. The Bowie, Bowie knife. The James Bowie knife. Right. Yeah. And so I also want to mention that we actually have a uh, a Bowie, Maryland. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. When I first moved to Maryland, here in Maryland, it is pronounced Bowie. Bowie. Like Bowie. ghost boo. Right. Bowie. Yeah. Uh, and as long as I can remember, I always called it Bowie. Right. That's how it's spelled. Because it's spelled the exact same way as David Bowie. Right. And yes. I'm not from here. I don't have your weird Maryland accent. So it's Bowie. It's either way. You can, mm, you can say it. Bowie. Mm, Bowie's. During his early life, he spent several weeks at a Scottish Buddhist monastery. Then he spent time studying mime. Right. Well, it, you can't. Nobody can see you doing that, Joe. Damn it! <laughs> Mom doesn't work for podcasting. Yeah, but you know. So he also, at one point in time, he was miming for uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, which eventually became T Rex. Right. 
right? He was opening up their shows while they were like tuning guitars and stuff like that mm-hmm. by miming. Could you imagine <laughs> that now? I mean, like I've I've been asked to perform with bands before, and like yeah. I've I've come up and performed while they're like tuning, which is the most annoying thing in the world. Yeah, but yeah, to to mime while people are like ping 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 ping. It was the sixties, you know? man. Everything was crazy. <laughs> you got to have some mimes. <laughs> well, have some mimes. Okay, as as, as much as I, I joke around about that, mime is a is a serious, uh, like a serious clowning technique. Right. You know what I mean. And a lot of people. When you say it that way, it doesn't make it sound serious. But it is. I know. It's, but you it's, say it's a serious clowning. Clowning t- a serious <laughs> business joke. I know. Just the way you phrased it makes it sound kind of clowny. Well, it's it's. Cl- clowns are funny, but the point yes. is, is that clowning is an art form. An art form, right? Ju- and mime is a part of that. Yes. Yeah, and it takes a lot of technique and, and know how to, mm-hmm. to do it. <laughs> yeah, and i i have <laughs> I have respect for mimes and clowns and and, yes. and that sort of thing. Yes. You know, I dated a girl. Her mom was a clown. Really? Seriously? Well, yeah. I mean, was she a birthday party clown? I believe. Or was she like a real like ringling? No, clown? she was a birthday party clown. Oh, okay. But I always wanted to get into her pants. <laughs> Not, not her mom's pants, her mom's clown pants. Right. Just because I was like, I oh, want to put your and, pants and on. squeaky shoes. Uh-huh. So, okay, so I also have a very strange little, uh, his, um, David Bowie's first TV appearance. Mm. Have you ever seen this? No, no, but I heard about it. Okay, so he was 17 years old, uh-huh. okay? Uh, so this was a little bit after he had started performing, you know, uh, as Davy Jones, uh-huh. right? Uh, you know, he, he played... Um, what was it? Saxophone, guitar, and a few mm-hmm. other things. Uh, but he got onto uh, onto British television, and if you take a look at the picture of him, and I'll make sure I put this up on the show notes, he looks no different. I mean, he looks like an old man with like a Prince Valiant sort of thing <laughs> on the top of his head. But it's you know, it's of course blonde, you know. Um, and he was, uh, yeah, he he got on to. Uh, as the a, a founder of the Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Long-Haired Men. Interesting. Yes. And he's basically trolling the BBC, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, saying that they're starting the society. And it's totally all, you know, just like a fake thing. But right. they, they were having a fun time with it. And he had a group of like 10 or 12 guys up there together saying that they were the society to prevent the cruelty to long-haired men. <laughs> and they were, you know, they all had long hair and they were like, oh, well, we don't like it when, you know, when they when, when people call us a lady and, and you right. know, and things like that. But, I mean, how cool is that, that at 17 years old, mm-hmm. he was, you know, up on TV like trolling the BBC, oh, right? Yeah. That's pretty just, awesome. I just thought that was really funny. And, uh, you know, so I'll have that, that on the show notes so you can actually watch the, uh, watch the video of him. So in, is it, in black and white, of course. Yeah, it sounds a lot different than the ice cream commercial he did uh, in the 80s that was directed by Ridley Scott. What? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah. And then later, uh, he was in The Hunger in 1983, right. directed by Ridley's brother, Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. So a little ice cream vampire connection a little ice cream sandwich i don't <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know what you're getting at there had no connection besides the fact that it was all video a commercial right yeah yeah he actually started his own mime troupe during his time as a mime mhm i just rhymed oh, that time oh <laughs> so you know I, I mentioned the tv appearance at mm-hmm. at 17 but we did miss a uh, a huge part of of david's life and 
uh, something that would signify him as an outsider weirdo <laughs> for his entire <laughs> life. Yeah. Because when he was 15 years old, this is where he got his distinctive look with his eyes. Originally, people thought it was something called heterochromia. He didn't think that. Right, which is a, <laughs> a condition in which a person has two different color, two different iris colors, usually hereditary and usually harmless. The condition is, in fact, more common in dogs, cats, and horses, and heterochromia can be expressed as two outright different colors completely two different colors now i've seen that plenty of times with dogs where they'll have right. one, one blue eye and one brown eye or something mm-hmm. like that and mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that that's what he had but in bowie in bowie's case uh it was a product not of genes but like you said it, when he was 15 uh apparently he got into a fight mm-hmm. got sucked in the eye and it did permanent damage Yes, so his friend George Underwood was supposed to go on a date with a Bromley Tech classmate, Carol Goldsmith. But Bowie told him that she was going to cancel uh, because he wanted to go out with her. Mm -hmm. And when Underwood found out that his friend had lied, he slugged him and he accidentally scratched his eyeball. And the injury paralyzed the muscles that contracted his left pupil. So it became completely and permanently dilated. And Bowie had said... It left, it left me with a wonky sense of perception. <laughs> this is, is, is this it's, good? It's, is this, it's close. This is as good go, as it's going to get. It, go for it. Uh, <clears throat> be like, this was in a book that had Bowie Be had like Bowie in full costume on stage and just go for it. When I'm driving, for instance, cars don't, don't come towards me. They just get bigger. Was that terrible? That was That's, awful. It was pretty bad. Well, with depth perception, it's like that. So, right. So uh, we typically see things as, you know, getting closer to you. Closer, further away. Yes. Right, because we have a, a certain type of depth perception. Mm-hmm. When he's driving a vehicle and cars are coming towards him, they just look like they're getting bigger. <laughs> they don't – he can't really tell the perception. God, you that tie is freaking enormous. <laughs> There's one little tag to this, okay? And we keep on jumping back and forth in time. We're trying to stay as linear as possible. But also, he was hit with a lollipop during a 2004 Norwegian Wood Festival. Uh, he was at the Norwegian Wood Festival in Oslo. Do I uh, even want to know what a wood festival is about? It's, I, You know what? Don't ask, buddy. Okay. Don't ask. <laughs> Norwegians. <laughs> but no, he got hit in the eye with a lollipop. Uh, and one of the roadies had to come out and basically like... Like peel because it was wet, yeah. Because it was all wet, <laughs> so they had to peel the lollipop off of his eye. Oh man! You know, and after a few minutes of this, he got it off and he he came back out, and the audience cheered, and he was like, "Well, luckily you hit the bad one." Oh no! <laughs> hit him in the same bad eye again. Oh man! Know? But the original uh, incident, the original fight, that condition is called anisocoria. Mm-hmm. So that's when the, the damage of the muscles happens, and right. it just leaves the the iris fully dilated all the time. David also had quite a few role models growing up, quite a few people that he looked up to. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them being in the jazz scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, he was very interested in playing the saxophone. Yeah, so saxophone. But, but one of the people that he he was really into was uh, Little Richard. Mm-hmm. Loved Little Richard. Right. right. So I, I just find that amazing you know well you have to think like if you look back at 
bits and pieces of Bowie's career, yeah, you can see a little bit of Little Richard, you right? Know, sort of like I don't want to say flamboyant, but kind of boisterous and you know loud. You could say and, flamboyant. Holy Christ, he was flamboyant. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and Bowie took that and kind of made it his own, and and just you know, it. it you can see the, that little mirror image of, of those influences. So I read this really great story. I can't seem to find it in my notes, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you guys. Uh, so he was, really into, uh, he was really into playing saxophone. So, yeah. so he tried to find the best saxophone player out there. So one of, the, one of the, the best that he found was Charles Mingus, and he found out that he lived kind of near him, close by. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, you know, he called him up on the phone. Like he basically like searched him out. You know, called him up on the phone and was like, I want you to teach. He's 11 years old at this point, right, mind you. Right, right, right. So he's like, I want to learn how to play, how to play saxophone. Right. And the guy was like, kid, I'm a, I'm a jazz musician, not a jazz teacher. <laughs> right. Like, no, no way. And he right. basically, like, called him up every day until he was, you know, he was like, fine, just what are you doing on Saturday morning? And he was like, nothing. <laughs> No, nothing. <laughs> Young you <know>? David Bowie, <laughs> what's he doing on Saturday morning? <laughs> <laughs> so he finally went over to Charles Mingus's house on a, on a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. and he did that for about four months. And he taught him guitar. His, I'm, I'm sorry, taught him a saxophone. Yeah. His dad had bought him a bought him a sax. Nice. And he went over there every day for three months, every single Saturday, and and learned. And eventually, he wound up getting him a, a, another gig. For I'm trying to think of who it was, uh, for another artist. I can't mm. I can't remember off the top of my head. I yeah. think it, so, but uh, but he shows up and he's got like the orange mullet, mm. right? You know, like in the <laughs> right, 70s. Right. And he, you know, he's like, well, you know, he shows up at this guy's house and he's like, we want to have you play saxophone on this. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like you, I, you know, he had no clue who he was, right? You know, right. and you know, he's like, you're a weirdo showing up at my door. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, well, let me see if you remember this. You know, he was like, I want to learn how to play saxophone, like said it to him. And he was like, holy hell. And he was like, because when he showed up at the door, he was like, oh, you're that Ziggy Stardust guy, right? Right. And he was right, like, right. yeah, it, like, it was just really funny. Like, so he, it all comes full circle. And he was able to give Charles Mingus a, a, a gig. Nice. You know what I mean? Back to him after he had found some fame. That's awesome. Fame. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of those in this episode. <laughs> so 1963, I guess, would be his first real entry into national music scene in England. Uh, and he released Space Oddity, uh, which quickly became uh, top five entry in the UK single charts. Uh, and then it was... Fully re- the, the album was fully released in 1969. Now, I have this little, uh, this thing. It's actually like a listicle, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely hate listicles. But this is basically all about, like, Bowie's different personas throughout yeah. time. Yeah. So at this point in time, we are in the whimsical singer-songwriter phase. You're talking the early 60s stuff, right? Yeah, like sort of like the Hermits, Herman's Hermits haircut, you know, right. who's guitar, psychedelica. Right. Yeah. And that's when he came out with with uh, Space Odyssey. Right. Oddity. That's what I said, Space Oddity. <laughs> no, you didn't. What did I say? Odyssey. I said Space Oddity. Did you? Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to rewind the tape and find out. <laughs> 
when the album fully gets flushed out, you know, it's changed a bit from from his first inception of it, and it's a little more rocky by the time the album actually comes out. I don't want to say rock and roll, but it was a little bit more rocking. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, you know, he was, you know, I mean, it was the 60s. He was dabbling in the psychedelica, you yeah. know? Psychedelica. The psychedelica. <laughs> That's an all-Metallica band that plays Is it, it in Acid rock yeah. versions yeah. of Metallica songs? <laughs> okay, so since we're a little bit past the... The singer songwriter, which, by the way, Space Oddity is probably one of my absolute favorite songs by him. Yeah, and I know it's yeah. one of his, you know, very first mm-hmm. songs. But uh, apparently, uh, BBC had also used that when uh, when they were showing the moon landing. Yeah. yeah, right. So you know, when when man was finally going to the moon, and they were mm-hmm. showing the Americans getting there first. Uh, they they played, you know, David Bowie's Space Oddity in the background. Yeah. So, I mean, how cool is that? Like, literally, the his entire nation heard right. it. I also wanted to mention that at some point in time, there was a bit of a rivalry because he had written that song and it was kind of such a big deal that uh, someone else wrote a song that kind of had a lot of the same tones... Okay, is this and like a Vanilla Ice and Queen? No, issue? not quite as bad as that. Okay, but uh, but a, 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 you know, just a little artist called Elton John mm-hmm. wrote a song called Rocket Man, uh, okay. and apparently there was a rivalry between the two. Oh, now I've also heard that there was a point in time where they used to hang out and go to the club together and talk about music, and that they were actually friends before Elton John became Elton John. Okay, but uh, but then I've heard also that they uh, didn't like each other very much because David had a problem with him because of Rocket Man, and he felt that it was a ripoff. Yeah, I mean, and I know. I, I'm like just not this... sure which one it actually is. Yeah, or well, whether it's both. Well, I mean, during like the '70s to the '80s, you know, uh, Bowie was friends with Freddie Mercury, mm-hmm. who was also friends with Elton John. Right. You know, so you know, it's kind of like. You're all in the same kind of school, you know? Yeah. You're going to see each other in the halls. You're all British rock stars. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they probably knew of each other, probably were cordial. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, went out and hung out a few times. Maybe there was some publicity sort of, you know, shunning. Oh, it's my song. No, that's my song. No, it's my song. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think they are probably at least friendly to each other. Right. So then after after that, we move into the... Man who sold the world kind of persona. Mm-hmm. Did I mention that there's twelve of these, twelve different personas that I he's know. really kind it's, of? It's like Christmas, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the the man who sold the world persona is really when he moved on from being that uh, that singer songwriter, mm-hmm. and then he started wearing dresses. Yeah, like straight up dresses. Oh yeah, as, like you do. As he was performing, mm-hmm. as he would go out, yeah. he he was just and and I I just think that that's you got to remember he was also about as shapely as this marker, <laughs> you know, very stick thin, yeah, no curves. He can get away with wearing a nice you know evening gown, <laughs> you, you know, and and pull it off because mm-hmm. you know it was fucking David Bowie. Yeah. So the next persona of the Bowie. Would be probably Bowie. probably his most uh, breakout. 
I would, yeah, I would say in the music world, iconic. Yeah. And that would be the Ziggy Stardust persona. Yes. And this is when he really started donning, like, the the orange mullet. Well, this is, yeah, I guess that's really when he started yeah. it, the orange mullet. You're talking, mullet. you know, what, 1971, 72 is when that yeah. exploded. And, I mean, this is really, like, the beginnings of glam rock, right? Yes, yes. This is, there are still hints of folkiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are hints of jazz and... Of course, rock and roll, but then there's also this weird undertone of, you know, rhythmic, funky disco. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? So there's this sort of amalgam of of what that album, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, kind of represents. The end of the '60s, the start of the '70s, everything was crazy and weird. And also, as, as we kind of talk about these two, he jumped from, like, record label to record label, you know? So, like... Well, and here's the thing, is record labels are out to sell records. Yeah. So if they think the artist, you know, if they come up with some sort of ridiculous idea for an album, mm-hmm. most of Bowie's albums were sort of conceptual. Yeah. I'm not saying they, were, they all were, they all had a perfect concept, but they were sort of, I'm going in this direction with this album... Some companies back then were just like, oh, I'm not touching that. Yeah. I'm not touching that. <laughs> and plus, there was also, you didn't have big, giant, long contracts back then. Yeah. You know, so you could kind of shop it around the next next time you wanted a contract. Again, this is in a very weird time in music history. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of, you know, mess around with things and move things around. But yeah, he did. Kind of pop around all over the place when it came to record labels. Right. So so this Ziggy Stardust persona is actually, I mean, not only Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So the Spiders from Mars front were the, the backing band. Right. So Ziggy Stardust was the, the front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was still David Bowie. Right. But it was almost like. You know, it, it was like that whole weird Chris Gaines thing in the '90s, right? Like, mm. with, uh, like, uh, what was what's his real name? Wasn't it like Miley Cyrus's dad or whatever? <laughs> no. Wasn't like Billy Ray Cyrus no, was Chris Gaines? No, who who was it? It was that other. It was the other guy. country store uh, star store country store. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly that guy. But yes, very very similar. Right. So he had this weird like concept thing where he was. He was Ziggy Stardust, and he was a rock star from – he was an alien rock star, basically. Right. He was you know, a rock star from Mars mm-hmm. that came here and played rock and roll. Yeah. Like how – I mean, like I really want like, like a comic book of this. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like a, a Ralph Bakshi you know, animated cartoon come to life. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a – I think that's where I get a lot of stuff from like the old heavy metal magazines. Yeah. Like the car, the comic heavy metal, mm-hmm. it's kind of off the wall. It's out there, but the cool thing is, it is super visual, you know. And it, the songs kind of would emulate the visuals as well. So, uh, I mean, a few of the things also. Not only did he have like the iconic like orange mullet, but he used a lot of makeup during this time. Yep, right. Uh, a lot of the time, he would be painting like this. Uh, I don't even know, like, the circle on his forehead. Like, mm-hmm. I guess 
maybe that is supposed to represent Mars. Yeah, or his third eye or yeah. any number of things. So a lot of glitter, uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> right. lipstick. Yep. Right? You know what I mean? Lots of uh, platforms and high heels. Right. Yeah. And a lot of spandex, you know, uh, one-piece suits. I even think – I think – I think he didn't really get into, like, the platforms and stuff like that. I think he was still in a lot of, like, dresses and stuff like that. He was like still that. wearing high heels. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't, I mean... Not like high, not like stilettos. I'm talking like, you know, a, a, a chunky... A platform high heel. A chunky yeah. heel. Yeah. So, but it was, it was, re- it was really strange. So, at one point, uh, after, after his world tour with uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, mm-hmm. he basically, without any kind of... Uh, any kind of t- speaking with his band ahead of time, the very, very last show, he basically decided that he was going to quit. And he said that he was not going to tour anymore. Right. Uh, I, well, he said it as Ziggy. Oh, yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is going to be our last show. Mm-hmm. This is it. Right. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. that was in 1973. But, uh, you know, during this time, he was also producing albums for Lou Reed. Yep. Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, spending some time with uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, right? Uh, performing with them. He also did, uh, I, I believe, he did a song for Mott the Hoople. Mm-hmm. All that to say, that era of Bowie, uh, there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened. Uh, one of the things was Bowie would strip down to a sumo wrestling loincloth and and or simulate oral sex with the guitarist uh, on stage. So you know. Kind of fun stuff, I guess, uh, but rather bizarre when you go in to see a rock show and there's this yeah. orange mulleted, you know, uh, skinny young guy on stage running around and uh, pretend, uh, pretending to flatiate <laughs> the guitarist. Well, he also actually, there was at one point in time, he, he did a, was it a Rolling Stone article? That he basically came out and said that he was gay. Mm, mm-hmm. It's funny. Many years later, uh, I believe he had did another interview. Yeah. Somewhere in like the late 80s or mid 80s. Basically saying that whole article was just to pump up people's interest in him. Yeah. <laughs> but at least he came clean. But right? hey, that's the thing. That's the whole thing is that he's, he devotes himself to the character. It's like, it's like an actor. An actor. Uh, if you stay in character, mm-hmm. even in your trailer, yeah, offset, you know, you're you're like full full on method acting. That's what Bowie did. At least that's what, that's what it feels like he did. Feels like he wrote a character, you know, or designed a character in his head, and the visuals for that said character, and then he lived it. He executed it, uh, right? With, yeah, with with gusto. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. He really lived the embodiment at that. I think during the, the like during the seventies, mm-hmm. he really lived the embodiment of fake it till you make it. <laughs> right, right. He right. was like, I'm just going to just keep on doing this. Right, right. This I, person. I think also the drugs may have helped. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. yeah. So. Uh, he's also done some interviews saying mm-hmm. that you know, uh, you know, during that time period when he was uh, when he was Ziggy Stardust, right, right, you know, that he had tried a few things. He had tried some smack. He had tried some whack. Yes, yeah, so a few other things. But it was really, 
But what he really liked were, were uppers. Yes. He because he didn't like to be slowed down. Uh, yeah. So you know, I mean, I, I, I mean, but it wasn't until a little bit later where it really became a huge problem. But I mean, you know, that's something that plagues a lot of rock stars. Oh, a lot of not, not just rock stars, but you know, movie stars and TV stars and and artists and I think anybody who is in either the limelight or who has a lot of pressure to perform a duty or a, a skill for other people's enjoyment, I think there is a huge, giant amount of pressure on that person. And in those those worlds, it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say normal, but it's just very, very easy, you know, to get involved with those things. Yeah. You know, and especially, especially in like late 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, that was, it's still an issue today, but back yeah, then. Yeah, but I think that, I think that it was, uh, you know, kind of like, not necessarily new on the scene, you know, during the 40s and 50s, there was coke and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. other things around, but I, I, I think it was, you know, I think it wasn't like the serious partying that you think of when you think of the, you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, you know, you know, hard drugs just all over the place, like, mm-hmm. you know, Studio 54 kind of stuff. That, it, you know what I mean? Dude, uh, right? Probably like, pretty close. Yeah. But, you know, but I'm saying, like, that's the kind of stuff where, you know, that you think of that Bowie would probably be at, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and enjoying himself at. Right. So, so uh, the next persona would be Aladdin Sane. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is the iconic Bowie. Now, he still did keep the, the same mullet, uh, yes. like orange mullet mm-hmm. or, or bright red mullet. But right. uh, this – And if you don't know what a mullet is, it is uh, a, partying – It's or, a ape drape. Yeah, I always call it a schlong. Yeah. So it's a short and long, a schlong. Yeah. Or, you know, a business up front, party in the back. Mm-hmm. A beaver paddle. <laughs> a beaver paddle? A beaver paddle. Yeah. Interesting. A Camaro cut. <laughs> Camaro cut. Business in the front, party in the back. See? Canadian passport. <laughs> an El Camino. Hockey hair. A Kentucky waterfall. A Missouri compromise. A mud flap. A neck warmer. A ranchero. <laughs> an achy, an achy breaky, bad mistakey. <laughs> a soccer rocker. A squirrel pelt. A Tennessee top hat. This isn't the mullet episode. And a yep nope. A yep nope. I'm sticking with the schlong. Basically, your most of your head is uh, what crew cut or short, short cropped, but the back part of your scalp, uh, your cowl area, your crown has a nice elongated piece or chunk of hair. Also with the Aladdin Sane, yeah, yeah. So he definitely had the mullet, but he also had the. Uh, so Aladdin Sane, Aladdin Sane mm-hmm. is a pun on a lad insane, insane. Yes. right? So you have the the whole pun idea, but then right. you also have the lightning bolt, the iconic lightning bolt going across his face, mm-hmm. breaking it in half, right? Which is really, uh, to me, symbolizes someone who is having a mental problem. Right? right, right. So someone that's insane, someone who has possibly a split personality mm-hmm. or something like that. So you you know you have that all kind of associated with his his whole 
you know, persona and fashion look at that point in time. So right, right. Uh, it also was kind of a, like, kind of a bit of a, you know, after Ziggy Stardust, I, I, I think, I think with Ziggy Stardust, he really had a problem keeping Ziggy Stardust away from himself. Okay. I've heard a little bit about that, like in interviews with him, <clears throat> where... Being uh, like Ziggy Stardust... Pigeonholed? What, just like you said, when you stay like that in the trailer and you stay like that, you know, at home on, in yeah, the tub, acting. eventually you, you know, it becomes a part of you and stays a part of you. Okay. And I think he had a really hard time breaking away from that, which is why right. he decided at the end of the show, you know, their very last show of, of the, that tour in, in 73. Yeah, this, this, this persona is done. I'm done. He was like, I cannot do this anymore. Right. I cannot be Ziggy Stardust anymore. Right. And that's when he broke up, uh, you know. But he still had that persona in him, which is why mm-hmm. he kind of created Aladdin Sane and, you know, performed as that next because mm-hmm. it was still a part of that, but it was, it was the break that he needed. Right. Where he right. didn't have to be Ziggy Stardust all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And he could go back to being David Bowie, but he needed a transitional period. Well, I just want to also say that's, that's also when he did pinups, which was mm, yes. the uh, – it was an all-covers album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So also as kind of like a part of that was in 74 – uh, he did Diamond Dogs, and he, mm-hmm. he a lot of the time had the persona of Halloween Jack. Yeah. Which a yeah. lot of people consider that like a part of Aladdin Sane and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But mm-hmm. he actually was kind of I, – I think he was trying to come up with a, a play. Yeah, based on uh, George Orwell's 1984 yeah. novel. Yeah. So yeah. he was planning on you know being Halloween Jack in that. And mm-hmm. uh, he just – it never really came to yeah, fruition. He couldn't get the licensing or something to do a lot of the character stuff yeah. from the book. So it kind of just, you know, fell to the wayside. Right. And I, I always found this kind of strange with the with the uh, Halloween Jack persona mm-hmm. is that he wore an eye patch during this. Mm-hmm. But he wore it over his good eye. Yeah. <laughs> he, which means he's trying to look out of his bad eye. <laughs> right. You know, and I actually watched like a, like a Top of the Pops uh, which is like a British – it's like a British uh, – VH1. Yeah, well, you know, I mean it's just a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, – what, like it's a British like American bandstand. Oh, uh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know what I mean? Dur- mm-hmm. You know, during – Soul the- Train, American Bandstand. Right. So, uh, you know, but I mean Soul Train has a very distinct difference. Uh, yeah, I and know. we'll get to that a little bit but later on. But they played a lot of like, you know, popular hits. Right. You know. Yeah. So uh, – but yeah, so he uh, he was – Playing on that as, as you know, in his Halloween Jack persona, mm-hmm. uh, big, huge hoop earring in his ear, looking yeah, very like much a like a pirate, <laughs> yeah, like a like a you know some kind of strange swashbuckler, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, he he has a guitar mm-hmm. and he kind of sort of pretends to play it some of the time, yeah, and then eventually just stops mm-hmm. and like kind of twirls it around and is using it as a prop. Yeah, which is really funny because in most of those TV shows, mm-hmm. they uh, they don't actually play; they just like lip sync yeah, 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 to yeah. the music on most yeah, of these TV Elvis shows. Did it? I mean, tons of people did yeah. it in that era. Yeah, you know? but I just think it's really funny. It, it, there comes like a time eventually where people are just like, "Look, if I'm not actually going to play it, then I'm not going to play it." Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just going to mess with the damn thing. Yeah. So Joe comes in the uh, the persona that you were talking about. That you wanted to get into twenty minutes ago, 
and I stopped you because I had to pop Halloween Jack into there. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, is the the thin white Duke? Yes. Now this is the one where uh, he really started to get into uh, you know soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when it's he very started funky. Yeah. You know, very. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, but yeah, very funky, very soul oriented. Uh, kind of losing a little bit of the rock and roll. Yeah, and, and this is when he came out with uh, "Young Americans" and, and "Station to Station," Americans. which is another one of my favorite yeah. songs. Absolutely, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's great because every single I can go through the list of albums. Yeah, and there's at least two or three songs on every single album, and I'm like, oh man, that's it's such a great absolute, song. It's a yeah, great song, an absolute classic. Yeah, but this was uh, he he actually uh, coined a term called "Plastic Soul." Mm. Which is what he what he liked to call this music. So mm-hmm. it wasn't pure soul. I mean, right. this was a white boy playing, you know, and singing soul music. Mm-hmm. So he called it plastic soul. Right. So uh, during this time period, uh, he was also on, and you had just mentioned this. He was on Soul Train. Mm-hmm. Now he wasn't the very first white artist to be on Soul Train. Right. The very first one was actually Elton John a few months before, but it was still Darn that Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still a very groundbreaking thing, uh, yes. you know, for for a, a white person to show up uh, mm-hmm. with his with his you know very strawberry blonde, mm-hmm. you know, and a, and you know a, a, a tight suit on. Right. Right. And show up, and uh, he actually sung "Fame." That is a. Like the perfect song to sing, absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, for Soul Train, right? Yeah. So, and, and it has like a little bit of that kind of a uh, little bit of that. Oh, well, it has a lot of that funk to it. Yes, it does. You know, and it has like maybe a little bit of disco. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, you're talking a little bit by then. What 1974, 75? Yeah. You're in the midst. You know, you're deep in the midst of disco. Right. Yeah. So, but also during this time. Uh, a lot of people call the Thin White Duke period mm-hmm. uh, the lots of cocaine period. <laughs> that too, yes. So this is fr- this is when it went from being, you know, kind of a, a party drug to really being more of like a, you know, kind of a, a way of life mm-hmm. during the 70s. Yeah, I mean, he overdosed several times during the year of 1976. From Coke, uh, he got very, very, very skinny and in turn got, you know, kind of scared and really sick. Yeah, this was also a time period where he uh, he had a, uh, a better-known R&B singer, Luther Vandross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was uh, also – he was on Fame. Uh, right. And it was his very first ever number one single uh, in the U.S. Nice. He was also in his first uh, – Feature-length film, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, the same year, 1976. I personally have only seen bits and pieces of it, never actually sat down to watch the whole thing. Which, uh, which I think is funny because you're more of the movie aficionado yeah, yeah, than yeah. I am. Yeah. And I know personally mm-hmm. that I've seen the entire thing. Yeah. You know? I, I've seen bits and pieces in, in film classes and stuff like that, but it, it just – you know what I mean? Like nothing uh, – it just didn't stick. So one of the other weird things is uh, Fame was also co-written by John Lennon. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. So uh, he was palling around with John Lennon at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently in a 2002 GQ interview, uh, the Men of the Year issue, uh, he said that the the two musicians were in Hong Kong together mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the late 70s. And they were trying to find a place to eat monkey brains. 
chilled monkey brains. Right. Uh, so uh, two guys recognized Lenin and took him into a back room and made them made him drink blood from a snake. Okay. And he said as as uh, as Lenin came out, he came out with this thing in his hand, uh-huh. and he was like, he's like, David, just eat this, and like shoved it in his mouth, <laughs> and it was a thousand year old egg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Except for this thousand-year-old egg, which I, I've heard of this before, mm-hmm. was actually cooked in horse piss. Interesting. Ooh, and he shoved it in David Bowie's mouth and was like, e-. "Is it?" He's like, "Bowie, eat this." <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Lennon was, "Oh no, why don't you eat this?" <laughs> David just ate it. No, sure. Wow, that's my accents are awful. It's a little terrible. Why do you let me do an know. accent? I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, but uh, thousand-year-old eggs—that's uh, sulfur, right? So I, I, maybe if the horse had a high sulfur concentration in its, in its pee-pee, that could work. Or it's, they just wanted it to make John it's Lennon gross. Eat, it's so gross. eat horse piss eggs. <laughs> so, uh, so this was also a time where he, uh, during this this whole cocaine-fueled thin white duke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of persona that he had. Yeah. He also was uh, not only you know doing a lot of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had a tendency to uh, delve into the occult at this time. Yeah. He yeah. was ca- kind of getting into the occult a little mm-hmm. bit. And uh, I have this very strange um, yeah, this very strange story from David Bowie's ex-wife. It was a biography of him that she had written called Backstage Passes, Life on the Wild Side with David Bowie. <laughs> And uh, as told by Angela Bowie. So this was, you know, at, at a time where they had an Art Deco house on six acres, and it was a very large property, and uh, it was valued at $300,000 at the time, which was, you know, during the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, pretty big. So uh, they had a hexagram that was painted on the floor in a, in a circular room uh, by the previous owner, mm-hmm. uh, and he continued to kind of just do these, you know, bizarre, like, occultish things. Right. Of course, with his, you know, cocaine-fueled, you know, just psychoses at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, he eventually uh, thought that he saw the devil itself start to emerge from the swimming pool, the indoor swimming pool that was in the house. So uh, he decided that he was going to exercise it. Uh, so his wife at the time went mm-hmm. and tried to find a priest to exercise it, and he was like, "No, no strangers. I'm going to do it myself. We need a treadmill and a bottle of whiskey." Right. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, uh, they got all these different occult books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found, you know, you know, they got gathered all the supplies, right. and uh, he exercised it. And what's weird is uh, during the time, his wife said that she swears to God as he was doing the incantations uh-huh. that the that the, the 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 indoor pool started bubbling. Did someone hit the button for the bubbles? For the for the bubbles? <laughs> right. That's what she said. Is that it? You know, it no, no, it, there, it didn't have anything like that. It just started bubbling all on its own. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it looked like something was thrashing inside the pool. And by the time that they were done with the exorcism, that there was a like a black stain that was in the shape of a. Ringo great, Star of a no, it was the it was like you know a stain that was in the shape of a great beast, and she says that uh, they eventually sold the house, and no matter how many times that it's been painted, uh, apparently that stain, that shadow on the uh-huh. very bottom of the pool, is still there to this day. Ooh. 
Isn't that weird? A little, little, little haunting. Oh. That's a little history goes bump for little, you little in the middle Hellboy of our podcast, right there. <laughs> That's great. So, but isn't that cool? Like, I yeah. mean, you know that that uh, David Bowie has actually. What you can't know, this guy do? I know, right? <laughs> you know. So, I need so a young priest and an old priest. No, just bring me David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I need. So, uh, by the end of the Thin White Duke period, he also got in trouble. Uh, he was he was doing way too much cocaine. Mm-hmm. He was having way too many problems, and he decided that he was going to try and get away from it in L.A. And he moved back to London. Right. So, uh, during this time when he moved back to London, apparently. Because of his uh, what was going on with him at the time, mm-hmm. he also started getting really heavily into the uh, you know kind of like the Aryan I- ideals, right? Yeah, yeah, a little, a little, uh, <laughs> a little uh, Hitler praising, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he he had said a few things about like Hitler being one of the one of the first rock stars, right? Uh, he also uh, got caught going through uh, where was it? Uh, it was, he got caught going. Through a border crossing with some Nazi paraphernalia, mm-hmm. and then also when he went back to London, he uh, apparently gave the crowd some Zig Heils. <laughs> God, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's. It, it, I mean, it was you know a serious weird stain on his uh, on on his uh, persona. Yeah, Bowie there. was he was quoted in Stockholm as saying that Britain could benefit from a fascist leader, right. <laughs> you know, and I, I and I, I genuinely think that this was from all the strange paranoia and everything. And this was only shortly after he had been on Soul Train, right? You know, and he always, you know, he was always very much about, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, at one point during like the eighties, he wound up like fighting with one of the VJs mm-hmm. about the fact that they didn't have any black artists on there at all whatsoever, right? So, uh, you know, he got into, you know, an, an outright argument, mm-hmm. you know, on MTV while yeah. they were interviewing him, mm-hmm. you know, ab- about the fact they didn't have any black artists. And it wasn't until several months after that, that Michael Jackson was put on and he broke the color barrier on MTV. Right, right. And I, I, I can't assume anything. Yeah. Uh, especially if it was a drug-fueled haze that he was in when he was doing that whole, like... You know, Hitler praising. Right. But I don't think he meant it in a malicious way. Or even if he did, you know, no. maybe he was just confused at the time because he, he, he seems to have really come back and fought against that, mm. you know. So um, so he moved back to London in order to try to, to clean up, to sober up. And uh, apparently it didn't do very well in London. So he actually moved to uh, what was Switzerland. it? Switzerland. Well, I moved to Switzerland in 1976, north of Lake Geneva. Well, he might have, but then he eventually relocated to Berlin, mm-hmm. and then he started hanging out with Brian Eno there. He yes. moved in with Brian Eno yeah. in Berlin, yeah. mm-hmm. and then they started making music together. Yeah, yeah. And during that same period, he was still working with Iggy Pop, Tony Visconti, who was a longtime producer for, for Bowie. And this was, uh, this was uh, considered his... The man who fell to earth. Period. Right. Right. So because this was just after his the movie came out and he uh, he he had uh, the album Low come out during this time period, mm-hmm. which actually had a still from the man who fell to earth, the movie that he was in. Right, and I mean it was heavily influenced by bands like Kraftwerk. 
Yeah. You know, who I, I believe he actually performed with Kraftwerk on SNL. Really? Yeah. And it's a bizarre performance. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to look performance. that up. <laughs> okay. So pick, imagine this. He is on stage live. SNL has always been a live show. He's on stage live, and he has this little tiny, like, skeleton body mm-hmm. on, on a, a, a green screen suit. And back then, it was a blue screen. So on stage, if you're looking at it, it's David Bowie in a blue outfit with this mm-hmm. little puppet thing that he's controlling. Yeah. But on TV, because of the chroma key stuff with a blue screen, you just see David Bowie's head on this little skeleton body. <laughs> <laughs> it is so bizarre and crazy. And near the end, he could kind of twist the, the little skeleton body around and a little boner would come up. Oh, like my a God. Little, little skeleton wiener would come up. <laughs> So bizarre, and he was such having such a good time. You can see his face like he's almost giddy because he's looking over at the screen and looking how how he looks dancing and everything. It's hilarious, <laughs> awesome. We'll put that on the show notes. Uh, we're, we're gonna have to. So during this time period, he uh, he also this is when he he started coming out with uh, stuff like Heroes. Yes. Now uh, this be uh, heroes just for one day. So Heroes was about a torrent love affair with uh, someone that he knew when he was in Berlin at the time. Hmm. Let me get to the lovely 80s. What would you call that? The new romantic pop era? Yeah, this is during his Pierrot. P-I-E-R-R-O-T. I'm not very good with, uh, with French. <laughs> this no was a, a, like a, a, a mime character that he created. Right. Uh, in his Ashes to Ashes video, mm-hmm. the very sad and lonely lost Pirado. Right. And that's, you know, songs like Scary Monsters. Mm-hmm. Scary Monsters. Uh, so in 1981, Bowie also recorded Under Pressure with Queen at the time. Under Pressure. Which is uh, absolutely one of the best songs ever. Yeah. Did you ever listen? In existence. On the Facebooks, uh, they're randomly... Even before Bowie's passing, things pop up, and one of them was the isolated tracks from Freddie Mercury and David Bowie singing that song. You know, I came across that, and I did not listen to it. It is awesome. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's the full, you know, uh, recorded track they used for the song. Yeah. Because in the background, you'll hear either, you know, Freddie, like... You know, like kind of humming. (laughs) And then in in some parts you'll hear Bowie. (laughs) And it's great. It's so great. But their voices are so clean and just, you know, they're on point. They're like perfect. Yeah. Well, it's a great great thing to listen to. They're both absolutely perfect singers in my mind. I mean, they're just both absolutely amazing, you know. And it's weird because Bowie would – Technically, be considered a, a baritone, you know, because mm-hmm. he has that very, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's a very lower lower register. Yeah. But but he does very very well with some more higher tones as well. Mm-hmm. So he he had a bit of a range, you know. So I wouldn't consider him full baritone. Yeah. You know, but man, those guys could just like interlock and just make the sounds. 
don't know how to put it. I really don't know how to put that. All right, Joe. That's more of like you know the 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 early seventies. No, you know, but that, him I, interlocking and making the sounds <laughs> and making the sounds. Apparently, when he said he was gay, you know yeah. what I mean. So uh, this is also the era, uh, the Bowie era, when he went to the stage, mm-hmm. the theater, right, and he portrayed a person that we have talked about on several episodes. The Elephant Man. Right. Joseph Merrick, mm-hmm. The Elephant Man. Yeah. So uh, also in 1983, uh-huh. he came out with the album Let's Dance. Let's Dance. <laughs> Put on your red shoes and dance the blues. <laughs> and uh, he had his world-encompassing Serious Moonlight tour. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, you know. Serious Moonlight. Which all great songs. Uh, and, and this time he, you know. He he tried to really be, you know, the ultimate rock star. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is when he start, started coming in and doing, like, stadium rock. Oh, yeah. You know, these, like, mass media-fueled, you know, kind of stardoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that this is really when he, you know, really kind of, you know, he started hitting it, like, uh, you know, bigger than than he ever has before. Yeah. You know, he had it, you know, he was influenced by a lot of artists like Duran Duran, Spandu mm-hmm. Ballet, Boy George, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that through the 80s, probably to early 90s, that is to me what will live the longest. Yeah. For the stage stuff, all the Grammys and things that he won, Labyrinth came out in 86. Yeah, I was going to say that would be uh that would be another one of his uh, I, w- I would say definitive personalities. Yeah, that he was. Yeah, was was labyrinth. That I, you know, you said it, so we're just going to have to take a pause. Okay, okay, okay. Because to me, if if there are any kids that were were that are my age, any people that are my age that mm-hmm. were kids at that time, give, give you know, give or take two or three years, right? Yeah, you know, Jareth the Goblin King mm-hmm. was definitely your entry. To David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Right? And David Bowie's package and Muppets and Jennifer Connelly. Well. And just an amazing Jim Henson-fueled ride. Right. That was a complete bomb at the box oh, God, office. Yeah, it was terrible at the, at right? the so theater. It, yeah, totally bombed, completely yeah. bombed. But, it, you know, in, like, the aftermarket video, you oh, know, yeah. it is— it Cult. Is cult classic. It has lived on, mm-hmm. you know, it's my son Rocky has seen horror. it. Status, right. cult classic, exactly. Except yeah. for it's a children's movie uh, that yeah. adults can watch and enjoy, right? So, right, because mostly it's... because of nostalgia. Yeah, you know. Um, now, I think anybody who's listened to this podcast more than once, more than twice, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you've seen a few pictures. Uh, I created, I handmade a Jareth costume mm-hmm. for Halloween uh, a year or two ago, and. The greatest thing was, I think the first time I wore it out was at a Ren Fair right. here in Maryland. I got recognized more as David Bowie than I did as Jareth. Mm-hmm. That alone, right there, it tells you who the stronger character was. Yeah. You know, so yes, it's just a costume, but it was David Bowie. David right. Bowie was just wearing another costume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it was great. So, uh, you know, I would say that that is definitely the entry point for, for most people 
uh, that are my age uh, to him. I mean, obviously, right. people that are older than me probably knew him during his, you know, 70s spiders from Mars kind yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and for, to me, I figured all that out later. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, yeah. who is this crazy guy? Right. You know what I mean? With where this... can I learn more? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, you know, that that's where I really needed to to find out more. Yeah. Then comes the next period where he was just a regular dude with a regular dude band. <laughs> dude band? <laughs> Still kind of had the mullet, though. Yeah, so this was like the late 80s, early 90s, where he was in, uh, what is it, Tin, Tin, what is it, Tin Monster? What was the name? I don't even Tin know the Machine. name of the band. Tin that's Machine. The, that's, how, that's how bad it was. I don't even know the name of the band. Right, right. I've never listened to a single thing by Tin Machine. I, have, are they any decent? Uh, it's not bad. Yeah. He decided that he was going to be just the singer of Tin Machine. Right. And he had a very strict policy of, of, of splitting the band's profits Four ways mm-hmm. between each each member, right? So, but I literally at this I do not know anything about this. I think this was like kind of like a moment where he was kind of searching for himself again. Well, I I think it was like a um, Paul McCartney thing. Yeah, you know, after the Beatles, uh, he started. He did a maybe a solo thing, and then he started Wings. You know, yeah, and Wings was all right. But it was never the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think after Wings broke up, he was Paul McCartney again. Right. You, you know, and people were like, oh, hey, there he is. You know? <laughs> so I think that's what Bowie did. It's like, okay, let me branch out and try something, something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is early 90s. Influenced a lot by early synth pop. You know, the, the sort of... Uh, Precursors to industrial and techno and, and things like that, uh, but still with the sort of David Bowie soul funk. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to go back. I'm gonna have to buy some albums from Tim Machine because I really don't know anything of of what they did. I can't even tell you a single one of their songs. Uh, yeah, but apparently they they were uh, abrasive, dissonant rock like Sonic Youth and the Pixies. Mm-hmm. They were is, on, they were on EMI. Okay, which which I'm I'm a huge fan of the Pixies. Right, I kind of like Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. a couple of their songs. Yeah. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I would imagine that if I went back and listened to Tin Machine, I might like some of it. Probably, but that's where you get into the real electronic period of of Bowie's stuff. Is from I would say ninety two, about ninety eight. Yeah, so this is like the mid to late nineties where he was the outsider. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. This is his his one of his getting into the later personas. Right. The outsider, and uh, this is when he kind of started to grow the goatee, and he mm-hmm. had the short little spiky hair. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but this was also when he would have like the 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 crazy spiky hair and the Union Jack jacket. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. But this was also a time period where he you know got to be friends with Trent Reznor. Yep. Right, and. Uh, one of uh, an iconic video for me, you know, growing up during the 90s was uh, Afraid of Americans. Yes. So, where he's being chased through the streets by Trent Reznor. Yeah. Right? I uh, love that. That's I love kind that of song. like a nightmare. Yeah. No. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Which we actually have a handful of friends that saw Bowie on that tour. 
Right. And with with uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, and they they co-headlined. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they went back and forth between, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Bowie headlining the tour. Right. And then there I've seen some videos where Trent would uh, join Bowie on stage for a handful of Bowie songs and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. Uh, kind of interesting, kind of neat, because they both have completely different singing styles. Yeah. Then we get to late 90s and to the 2000s. This is sort of the, I guess, what, renaissance maybe you you could say, mm-hmm. the sort of neoclassic Bowie yeah, in fact, there was a at one point in time. I think in two thousand four, he had a health scare. We wound up having like a like a small heart attack. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he's not without. You know, finally, we're, we're starting to get to the point where he actually has a little bit of a, a a little. You know, like he might be starting to get a little bit of health problems. Well, I mean, he gave up his fifty cigarette a day smoking habit in two thousand four. <sighs> Really? Yeah. Was that because of the heart attack? I maybe. How do you smoke fifty cigarettes a day? That's what four packs. Holy. Twenty twenty. Uh, maybe three packs. Two and a half packs a day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That'll do it. So also, I want to mention that this is the elder statesman period. Ooh, elder statesman. Hello. Yeah, this is his elder suave, long-haired yeah. Soho resident. This is really where he was. You know, uh, like a, a a New York resident when yes. he you know yeah. when he when he moved to New York he settled down there and you know apparently this was also the time period when he he really felt like New York was his adopted home like it's, there was no better place to live it for him is very similar to London in mm-hmm. many ways the diversity the craziness you know what I mean yeah it's very similar so I can I can see a transplant from from you know London kind of feeling that that New York was a second home. Yeah. Late 90s, 1999, he <laughs> created the soundtrack for Omicron. Oh, the yeah. video game. Yeah. Uh, so, uh I, I I saw some of the uh some of like the video from this mm-hmm. and it is totally David Bowie's blue face yeah. in the middle of this oh, yeah. video game. Yeah, it's he crazy. He did all but not only he didn't just do the soundtrack. I mean, he did a lot of the voicing oh, for yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? I just, I love that, that he even touched video games. Oh, he also, uh, another first, he was on the cutting edge with the first ever downloaded song distributed through the internet in 1996. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, a song called Telling Lies, with 350,000 uh, uh, Americans downloading a copy. Wow. I mean, really, he was on the edge, like, his entire life. Did you ever see a uh, Velvet Goldmine? No. Came out in uh, 98, 1998, mm-hmm. uh, loosely based on bits and pieces of David Bowie's early career. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth a look. There was, I mean, so, uh, well, let's not forget that he also played Tesla. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> Best damn Tesla ever. Right. And uh, th- he also played um, uh, Andy Warhol. Yeah. And yeah. Basquiat. And he was a ember. Oh, and, and the and hunger. hunger. Well, that mm-hmm. was that was the eighties, but yeah, yeah still. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but he also, I believe that there was like a short-lived the Hunger TV show that he consulted on. Uh, really? Yeah. Apparently. Okay. okay. I don't. I, I read don't... something about it. A brief little blurb. Didn't know that. Yeah. A few other little interesting things. He had aviophobia. I did hear that. Yeah. You know. 
That's a long swim from England to New York. Well, apparently he liked to he liked to take uh, boats, boats, well, ships. Uh, okay. When he went back and forth, where would he uh, put them? Uh, uh, in his pocket. I don't know. <laughs> he said he took them. Yeah. He no, them I where? mean he liked to uh, ride on boats. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So uh, he was also uh, in New York during September 11th, uh, and he mm. showed his support for his adopted city by performing a short. Uh, set at the concert for New York City at Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. Also, Simon and Garfunkel were there, and uh, he did a rendition of Heroes, and, uh, you know, all the proceeds to that went to helping out New York. Nice, nice. Yeah, and the cleanup. I just found this out. He was inducted into the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame. In 2013. As well he should be because he is an alien <laughs> rock and roll star. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but all the characters he created, it makes complete sense. Absolutely. It's bizarre, and he's bizarre, but, you know, it totally makes sense. I also want to mention that uh, during this time when he was in New York, he started collecting uh, art and even had some of his art exhibited. Yeah, he was also a painter. Yes. And pretty damn good stuff. Yeah, and uh, apparently, like, he, uh, he was... Had, had told uh, an interview at one point that, you know, when he was trying to write and perform music, sometimes when he would get stuck, he would go and paint it out for yeah. a little while. Yeah. And it would help him further his, his musical endeavors. It's funny because I've always done that. Really? Yeah. It's either I'll scribble something or paint something or make something, and it helps you kind of work through a block or an issue that you may be having with another creative outlet. So if you get writer's block or you know, singer's block or whatever, kind of divert that to a, another creative outlet, and it, it does help. So, yeah, I, I'm right along with him on that. In 2003, he put out a, an album called Reality, and then it took 10 years for him to put out his next album. It wasn't until th- 2013. Mm-hmm. Without any fanfare or telling anyone, yeah. he just put out a single in 2013 mm-hmm. and then said he was going to put out an album a few months later. And right. eventually put that at that album after 10 years of doing no more albums. So, uh, which brings us to his last and 25th album. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, and a couple, there's, there's compilation albums thrown in there. Yeah. Uh, like Nothing Has Changed, that was released in 2014. It was, you know, compilation, so it was like a best of mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, so it was in November of 2015 where he released Black Star, which was a uh, ju- just the single, mm-hmm. just the one single song, uh, and eventually uh, followed by uh, the full album of Black Star on right. January 8th, 2016, which was his birthday, uh, and then uh, his 69th birthday, mm-hmm. and then two days later uh, was his passing yeah. from, from cancer. And mm-hmm. he, uh, he's apparently battled it for 18 months. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you take a look at the uh, – it's, it's kind of strange. I've, I've seen a lot of people talk about the video for Black Star. Yeah. And, I mean, he's in it, you yeah. know, and it really seems like it has a lot of themes of, of, of death. Yes. So, or rather, I, I believe that's actually the Lazarus video. There's a song called Lazarus. Yes. And that, that – in that he has, you know, the – 
So he had the the two buttons sewn onto the the sash on his eyes, mm-hmm. uh, very reminiscent of the two coins in the eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the whole idea of having the coins for the the river for the ferryman for the river sticks. Yeah, you know, very reminiscent of that to me. Mm-hmm. Also, some strange demon creature under the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's kind of floating off the bed, like mm-hmm. he's you know you know moving up to the heavens. So a lot of people think that this video. Really was kind of like his his swan song, like his yeah, the outfit that he wears, that horizontal stripey thing. Right, it's almost the same exact outfit uh, from the movie Man That Fell to Earth mm-hmm. that he wore in that movie. Yeah, so there's a lot of callbacks, there's a lot of references, there's a lot of people are speculating all over the place with that video. Yeah, and I think I mean, you know, he's an artist and he's he's creating art and I think mm-hmm. you know that someone that knew that uh you know he his death was imminent, yeah. he wanted to give something uh to us mm-hmm. that, you know, that was uh, you know, that was about his passing. Right. So right. kind of encompassing all that is Bowie. Right. You know? Mm-hmm, Bowie. Mm-hmm, Bowie. It's pretty freaky, man. So uh, let's try to end on kind of a light note, Joe. Um, so, of course, you know, the Bowie thing that we keep on doing was <laughs> no. from Flight of the Concords. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the – they had a TV show, also an album, yeah. uh, where they spoofed Bowie and all of his <laughs> incarnations. <laughs> That's – How many Bowies? It's one of my favorite things this I've ever Bowie, done. This is Bowie. It's a Bowie. <laughs> but, yeah, that is one of the – Do you have many outfits out there, Bowie? Oh, do you have yeah. several <laughs> changes? <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. So, but also, uh, Bowie was also spoofed mm. as the sovereign of the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Okay. Have you ever seen uh, the Venture Brothers? Doctor Venture. Right. Yeah. So, uh, the, the Guild of Calamitous Intent is a evil group. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, you know, they're basically against all the heroes and super scientists. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so he is the leader of that group called the Sovereign. And, of course, he has, uh, he has a few, um, a few, I believe, uh, like a few minions, mm-hmm. and one of them being Iggy Pop. <laughs> right? And he's shirtless Perfect. the whole time. Perfect. Covered right? in peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. So the other bodyguard was Klaus Nomi. And he was a uh, a German performer, so he was just very bizarre character, uh, which we probably aren't going to cover. But I just wanted to mention <laughs> that's who the other bodyguard was uh, for the Sovereign besides Iggy Pop. And I, I looked at his IMDb page. Like I said, it is riddled with numerous, countless things that he's done. But some of the fun things are just some personal quotes. And he was asked if he liked dancing, mm-hmm. and he plainly says, I hate dancing. God, it's stupid. <laughs> it's great. I've reinvented my image so many times that I'm in denial that I was originally an overweight Korean woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Did I, I, I think I, I showed you or sent you the link for very, very early, uh, I want to say like – mid-80s, he was in the studio recording stuff, and he just decided to do a bunch of impressions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and like, he basically does impressions of, like, Tom Waits. He's not nearly as gravelly as Waitsy is, but his Iggy Pop and his Lou Reed are almost spot on. 
they're awesome. And he's giggling and having a good time. And it's just, it shows you a little bit of character, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that he had. One of my other favorite quotes is, uh, you think that a rock star being married to a supermodel would be one of the greatest things in the world. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he had several marriages, too. But yeah, yeah one of them was to Iman, the, mm-hmm. the supermodel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I believe uh, she even she wrote a book about uh, their life and their, their love story. I could just go on and on and on about Bowie. You know, there are so many pop references when he played himself in Zoolander. Oh, yeah. For the walk-off, <laughs> the two fashion models. The guy, I mean, he won a bajillion awards. He was probably in the, the top 100 charts almost every single year. Mm-hmm. In some way, shape, or form, whether it was old songs, new songs, he was always kind of there. His contributions to movies and soundtracks, like you said, moon landings, everything has kind of been a little bowified. He's had a, a absolutely amazing and wonderful career, mm-hmm. and uh, and I could just say he will be missed. Yeah, and I mean, I I, I can only speak from. My one experience dressing up in a part of Bowie's world from the Labyrinth costume and just feeling the sort of adoration and love just for the character and David Bowie, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah, it's me walking around in the costume, but, man, that guy, he, like, he touched so many different people's lives, you know, in so many different ways. So it's kind of neat. You know, he's, he's one of those people that – He's up there with, like, you know, Tesla. You know, he played Tesla. He's one of those people that you know him, you know of him, you know his work, and it's pervasive throughout our culture and countless others. And the world is better for it. Rest in peace, David Bowie. Thanks for joining us, Curiosos. Thank you for listening to the Curioso Podcast. You can tweet us at Curioso Podcast. You can email us feedback at thecurioso.com. You can Facebook us, facebook.com backslash thecurioso podcast. Check out our merchandise on zazzle.com backslash curioso podcast. You can also check out our videos, youtube.com backslash curioso podcast. On the left-hand side of thecurioso.com, you can help support the show by clicking on our donate link. And if you're a real Curioso, we need you to go on and give us a great five-star review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners, and it'll make you feel good about yourself. Oh, my. Turn into George Decay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's Pete Decay. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> I do. I love this goddamn voice. I know. I wish he did more like uh, voiceover stuff. Just, I wish he did voiceover stuff for like, like, like TV commercials and things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I really, I, I dig the shit out of his voice. Oh my. Oh my. He should, I guess he doesn't really have to now. He's just like. 
Oh, he's got them Star Trek royalties, man. Yeah, you know what I mean? He, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to. Nope. Oh, my. No, that's fine. Oh, my. <coughs> oh, my. Yeah, I think you've got a little closer than I do. Bowie. Is it cold air out in space, man? <laughs> Major Tom's a junkie. Is there anything else about Labyrinth? Did you want to say anything about Hoggle or Oubliettes or anything before we move on? No. No? Okay. <laughs> no. Sarah, forget about the baby. Reminds me of the babe. What babe? The babe with power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? You do. Do what? Remind me of the babe. I saw my baby, baby. crying hard as big could cry. What could I do? The Muppet. Yeah, Muppet. Stupid yeah. Muppet voices. <laughs> Ugh. Oh.